Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital. Welcome to Medically Speaking on a Friday. And I am a very dedicated St. Mary's employee because this is my week of vacation. No, I don't want any kudos out there. I'm here on vacay, but I wanted to make sure that um, we didn't run a tape on a Friday, especially for the very popular Robert David time slot. So I wanted to make sure that we um, had a live program for you today. And I'm really excited to bring with you um, a physician that has been with the St. Mary's Hospital program for a very long time. And now it's six years, six years as a provider, Doc, you've been with us. So we have with us one of our primary care physicians, Seth, Dr. Seth Klahosi. Hi, Doc. Hi, Robin. How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Very good. Thank you. So he was on a safari last week. Yes. And I was on vacation earlier this week. So our contact with each other was basically me texting him from Narragansett, hoping it wasn't still out there chasing elephants. And we're both feeling very relaxed. Yeah, we're feeling really relaxed. on vacation, so. <laughs> we're both back a little bit more relaxed. So I asked you to join us today because we're going to be talking about a topic that I'm going to be highlighting for the whole month, and it's called uh, Don't Take a Turn for the Worst. So pretty much knowing when to seek your medical attention. And let's talk a little bit about you first, quickly, though. I want people to get a feel for who you are, because you're a younger primary care physician in our market. And we were just talking about primary care and how we're looking as a group to grow primary care. We have about within um, the Trinity Health of New England Medical Group here in Waterbury, we have about 43, 44 primary care physicians in our base, which is lot. Absolutely. And, and primary care is critical. Um, I think it ties really well into the topic today, Yeah. Um, when to seek medical care. I know we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Right. Um, so yeah, my name is uh, Dr. Seth Klahosi. I'm a primary care provider. I've been in Waterbury for six years, did my residency here at St. Mary's Hospital. Um, I'm out on East Main Street. That's where my office is located in East Main and Frost. And I'm an internal medicine primary care physician. Uh, I'll spend a bit of time with the residency program, doing a bit of teaching and uh, direct patient care in the outpatient setting is most of what I do. But where do you hail from originally? Because I think that's kind of cool. Oh, sure. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, from, I'm from Canada originally. Um, I did my undergrad in Montreal, but I'm from the Toronto area. And um, lived in Chicago for a bit during medical school and then made my way to Connecticut. So how did you make your way out here? Well, the match is an interesting thing. So yeah. when, you're, when you're ready to go and start your residency program, you make a list of all of the different programs where you'd like to uh, ultimately train. It goes into a bit of a lottery system, a random uh, algorithm, and you kind of get matched anywhere. So you don't exactly know where you're going to go. Um, I chose, I actually ranked the St. Mary's Waterbury area high. It's a good Yale-affiliated program. It's good community um, service as well. And then you also get, you get to take care of the patients at every step along the way. So a lot of larger programs have a radiology fellow, a neurology fellow, you know, and if someone comes with a stroke, they take over the case. But with this program, as an internal medicine resident, you get to follow people all the way through, which is really cool. And I thought that was a great part of getting a good education in internal medicine. So you came here and you did your residency with us. And I think what was really neat for us is that we identified it a very, I know a lot of your your supervisors identified at a very uh, early stage that they didn't want to let you go back to Canada. Oh, that's we wanted, very nice to we hear. We wanted to keep you around, so we are very honored that we were able to have you. So now, how long have you been in private practice with us? So I've been in private practice for three years. Residency is a three-year program, and I've been out on East Main Internal Medicine for three years Three now. years, right, yeah. already. That yeah, went really flies. quick. Yeah. And why internal medicine for you? Because, you know, a lot of guys want to specialize now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So a number of different factors, I suppose. You know, one is internal medicine is quite broad, so I get to take care of a lot of different things. Uh, you know, when you're in a subspecialty, something like cardiology, uh, the range of things that you find yourself doing is a little bit lower. It's excellent. And, you know, it's also, for me, a component of lifestyle. So um, I get to take care of people. I get to get to know families and follow them over time, develop relationships with people in the community, which has been really rewarding for me. Um, I also like primary care because I get the opportunity to keep people healthy. And that is really rewarding. It's easier to kind of keep the horse in the barn, uh, right. which, which actually ties really nicely into the question of right. when do you seek medical care? Right. Uh, and the first thing I'd say about that is if you haven't seen a primary care provider in, in a while, it's time to seek medical care. Absolutely. You know, we talked a little bit earlier, and I know I bring this up a lot when I have conversations with my primary care providers, even with my specialists to some degree. I think that in today's world, we don't, see ourselves with one primary care physician. We live the kind of lifestyle that we don't take care of ourselves to the fullest. So all of a sudden we'll get sick and we'll just run to an urgent care, which I know urgent cares have their places, but they don't develop that relationship with you. And so primary care docs, I always see is I always call them the quarterbacks for the healthcare. Sure. Absolutely. Um, that, I think that's a really good um, analogy. Uh, we, get to develop a relationship with the people that we take care of and people get to develop relationships with us. And so you're going and seeing the same person, you're, you know, they know you, you know them. And then again, you don't want to necessarily go to the hospital when your chest starts to hurt, mm. you know, uh, although that is a good reason to seek medical care. Yeah, right. Um, my goal, the most rewarding thing that I get to do on a daily basis is to, like I said, keep people healthy. So there are silent killers. There are things that you might not know that you have, but with a good physical and a good checkup, a primary care provider will uh, identify those things early so that they can be treated and then ultimately prevent larger downstream problems. The goal is to stay healthy. And you also look to create those baselines, right? So when you go to the, your, your primary care provider and you go for your annual physical, you help, they help you create a baseline. Exactly. And a baseline is critical. You know, you see a change, it may not necessarily become clinically relevant right away, but it's like, okay, well, your cholesterol bumped up. Now looking at the risk that you have, your a personalized risk of having something like a heart attack or stroke right. in the next 10 years, that may uh, inspire us to start treatment for you know, cholesterol management, which ultimately would reduce the chances of, again, a heart attack or a stroke happening later in life. Right. You know, when we looked at this topic, when we looked at this topic for the month, um, we were talking about it with our spirit of women. And I said, what can I really do with this topic? And starting off with primary care to me was so important because later on in the month, I have a couple of surgeons that are going to be calling in and talking about specifics in regards to certain things that, you know, when should I seek medical attention? When do I think it's appropriate? But, but if you start at the very base and you know your own body, is that what you tell your patients? Cause they know their body the best. Absolutely. Um, so certainly, if the other component of this would be if you feel like something's not right, you know, I think uh, we have a lot of a tendency in, in this busy world to ignore things. Mm. So you walk up a flight of stairs and you're just feeling a little more short of breath than you used to feel, or you're getting a little bit of an ache in the chest, or your right upper abdomen is hurting after you have a big meal, or just something unusual, something that's changed. Maybe it gets better with some over-the-counter stuff, but it's still there. I find a lot of people that I see if, you know, they'll come in and say, oh, by the way, you know, I'll, I'll do an exam and push on the belly and, you know, they'll go, ow, this hurts here. Well, how long has that been going on for? And, oh, it's been about six, seven months. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's time for us to look into this a little bit more. Right. Um, 
So yeah, if you, yeah, there's definitely, there are silent killers. There are silent diseases, things that need to be caught by appropriate testing and histories and physicals that we perform on a routine physical sort of basis. But there are also things, I mean, there are components that you know your body. If something doesn't feel right, that's another, just a great reason. Um, it's so much easier to control things when they're early. Uh, it's a lot harder when they, when they, when they get uh, more advanced. And I'm sure you have all spectrums of your patients. So you have those that pull the trigger all the time, right? You have those that worry more, but then you have the ones that push things off. And I think that is a larger crowd. I think there's more and more of us that push things off and say, no, I'm not going to worry about it. No, I'm not going to worry about it. So if you have a physical, you do have that baseline, but you don't want your patients waiting too long to seek medical attention. You don't want them calling for every cold, but let's use a cold as an example, right? How long does someone and to, especially during allergy season, how long should someone push it? What to you are the more warning signs when they should seek medical attention for something like a common cold well, or they think is a common You've hit me cold. with a lot of interesting yeah. questions there. I'll, I'll try to start sort of from the yeah. beginning and Navigate. work my way through. Um, yeah, I love my patients. Uh, my patient population is great. Um, it's definitely a varied group of people, uh, lots, of, lots of great people. Um, some people who show up once a year for their physical who are otherwise quite healthy. Some people I see every sort of three to six months uh, to manage to help them control blood pressure and things along those lines. I definitely have a few people who, who are more uh, aware of their bodies and who see me more frequently. And then I definitely have a few people who uh, don't come in as often as they should. There's also this other part of the population, though, where uh, I don't see them at all because they haven't come to see me yet. Right. Um, and that's definitely a group of people that I'm also interested in. Um, you know, not only am I seeking patients, but other people from Trinity Health of New England Medical Group are actively taking on people. So we have room. Um, we definitely have room to take care of people. And uh, those are the people that I'm interested in taking care of. Definitely, yeah. because there is that population out there that doesn't know that they should have a primary care physici- physician as that quarterback. I mean, I, I can definitely tell you that when my primary care physician retired, then women, we start using our OBGYNs, which isn't what we should sure, be doing, yeah. which isn't what we should be doing. They shouldn't be ordering those antibiotics for us. They shouldn't be looking at us in the way a primary care physician should be looking at us. And we shouldn't call that our routine physical because it is not. Right. Because there's so many other things. And I think as women, we're very guilty of that. Well, I think a, I think a lot of people are very guilty of that. Yeah. Um, you know, either your primary care retires and then life gets busy. I mean, mm-hmm. look, we have mm-hmm. life is life is tricky. We have work, we have kids, we have other responsibilities. It's hard uh, to necessarily prioritize yourself um, when it comes to seek, seeking care. And then all of a sudden, you blink your eye, and three, five, ten years has gone by, you haven't seen someone. So yeah, that's it's really bad. And I think the older population developed relationships, and then those physicians retire, right? And I think way back when there was an opportunity where there was someone else in the group that we could kind of match you with and help you kind of bridge between someone who's retiring and then that next generation of physician. But I think within our medical group, we definitely have that opportunity because we have done that. We have partnered a lot of the physicians that are a little bit older and may, you know, at, at some point retire with a younger group of providers. So that group will sustain itself versus a practice closing. 
Yeah, if you've been taken care of by the same provider for many years, you get comfortable. That's one right. of the great things about having a primary care provider. You get to know each other. Um, meeting someone new is always tough, right? right? If it's an opportunity to, you haven't, you know, your primary care is retired or, you know, for one reason or another, you don't have the opportunity to see them anymore. There's always that anxiety uh, meeting someone for the first time. We often see a lot of high blood pressures on the first visit <laughs> for that reason. <laughs> I know. That is um, so true. But it doesn't take long, you know, it just... You go and you meet. Obviously, you want to make sure you, you always have the you always have the option to seek out a different primary care provider as well, right? So if you meet someone and you don't click right away, it's important that you have a good relationship with your primary care provider. It's important that you click because that fosters a productive dialogue right, in terms definitely. of keeping people healthy. Sometimes I ask my patients, "Let me know how I tell you how I want you to die. Let me tell you how mm. I want you to die." And I know that's a bit of a morbid topic, and I won't spend yeah. too much time on it, but I want you to be at least 95. I want you to have all of your faculties intact. Mm -hmm. As a resident, I know what it's like to be on the inside of a hospital. I do not want you to ever see the inside of the hospital. I want you to have a great day surrounded by your friends and family. I want you to fall asleep and not wake up. Yeah. That's, that's what we're going for. Right. And the only way to do that is to have someone know you and navigate that care. To identify things early. You know, Definitely. you have diabetes, that's, that's rough, but... The problems from diabetes, the problems from high cholesterol, the problems from high blood pressure occur when things have not been controlled for a long period of time. Yeah. It takes years for those things to, to cause all of And we could go into all the sort of problems that those specific medical issues can cause. But it's not so much that you have an issue. It's whether or not that issue is controlled or not. Right. And that's what ultimately leads to longevity. So you touched on diabetes. So let's, let's take a couple of things. So in that, don't take a turn for the worse. So I kind of mentioned... I know it sounds silly, but the common cold, but you see that a lot, right? And when, you know, when we look at someone who's out there who has a primary care physician, so say they have their primary care physician or not, say they're using urgent care back and forth, which mm -hmm. to me is really bad because they're going to treat it. They're not doing the follow-up for you, which I right. think is difficult. So when do you feel that someone should seek medical attention if they've been kind of playing around with those upper respiratory issues. So something like that. Like I like I said, something as common as that. Yes. Everyone gets a cold or, you know, certainly an allergy season, their allergies flare up and you feel pretty terrible for a while. Um, if that's occasional and mild, lots of fluids, lots of rest, uh, make sure to take care of yourself. If you do notice that you're getting recurrent colds often, that's definitely a good thing to check in on if you're a smoker, especially if you've been smoking for a long time. Recurrent colds could be a marker of early lung disease. Mm. You know, if your your lungs are not as uh, protected as they would have been otherwise, if they have some damage from from long term smoking, for an example, that can open you up, predispose you to, to recurrent infections. And again, that's a good early warning sign that we need to deal with this. We need to get this controlled so that things don't get worse down the road. Right. When do you pull the trigger? on an antibiotic for patients with, with upper respiratory issues. When do you, because I know we're trying so hard to stay away from that, right? So we try so hard to keep people off of antibiotics as long as they can. So when, you know, I have so many friends out there that will get upper respiratory infection, some common cold, sure. and they're like, I got to go get something. And, I, and I'm like. Yeah. Antibiotic stewardship is sort of the broad topic that we, we discuss um, when we talk about that. The reason why we care so much about this is that antibiotics are appropriate in certain circumstances. Right. You have a bacterial infection, you're not doing well, um, you're not feeling good. There are certain clinical signs and symptoms that I see 
you know, do you meet something called uh, SIRS criteria? Is there, there are certain things on a physical exam, certain things on vital signs, so on and so forth that we can, we can look at that give us, you know, is there a big consolidation on a chest x-ray? Do I hear something that may indicate, okay, we, this is probably a bacterial infection. We need to treat it. So antibiotics are only indicated for bacterial infections. And the majority of upper respiratory tract infections are viral. Right. So one of the jobs that I do as a primary care physician is I go, okay, is this bacterial? Is this viral? How do we need to manage it? Antibiotics are not great in viral infections for, well, a number of reasons, but two big ones that I can think of. One, it's not going to help. So putting something in your body that could cause a side effect, that could cause you to feel unwell, cause a bigger problem, it's not going to provide you with any benefit. It's always a risk-benefit analysis. Right. So first of all, you, you might be doing more harm that way. It's not going to help. And also, antibiotics don't work forever. You know, we develop antibiotic resistance mm. over time. What happens is you've got a bunch of bacteria, one or two of them has this resistance, you wipe out the rest, and then the ones that are able to resist the, anti the antibiotic grow, and then we have a bigger problem. So we also need to consider antibiotics as a resource and use them wisely. You said something key, though. One of the key things you said is that you, as the primary care division, a physician, it's your job to decide, is this bacterial, is this viral? And I think that's the key. You know, when you bring the patient in and you examine the patient, and having that relationship with the patient ahead of time, knowing that patient versus constantly putting ourselves in and out of a situation where we don't have a primary care physician that knows us or a team that knows us, then we are going to be more apt to abuse of an antibiotic situation. Yeah, right? I mean, I think it comes down to most people are, I mean, people are reasonable. You know, right. they need to have an informed and shared decision-making process. You know, um, I consider, I think the old way of practicing medicine might be a little bit different. Um, there's sort of a paternalistic component in them. I'm the doctor, I'm going to tell you what to do <laughs> and, you know, do it. And if you don't, this is going to be a problem. And, and I think the way, certainly the way that I think about it and the way I'm sure a number of other primary care providers in the community look at it, most primary care providers, I would say, is, more of a, let me tell you what I know. Right. Consider me a counselor. This is what I think is going on. This is what could happen if we don't deal with it. And these are the options that we have, you know. And then it's the same thing with, with an upper respiratory tract infection. So coming in and having a, a discussion and saying, listen, you've got something. It looks like it's a, a viral infection. Maybe the flu, we can test for that. It may just be a, another sort of upper respiratory virus that's not flu-based. I'm not worried about this. I think that you're going to be okay. You're going to feel junky for a while. Maybe we can give you some medications to help you feel better. Right. Um, but I don't think an antibiotic is indicated, and here's why. And patience is a virtue. And we don't have that with with an upper respiratory infection or something that's nagging us. Yeah. We want, it, we want to fix it quick. And yeah, and right? the opportunity to have it evaluated and then, you know, go setting realistic expectations right. about time for recovery. For sure. I think what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I know that we want to talk a little bit about the signs and symptoms and warning signs for stroke and Some heart attack. Some of the more serious stuff. For the more Absolutely. serious stuff. So we're going to come right back. Welcome back. Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital. Welcome back to Medically Speaking. We are medically speaking today with Dr. Seth Klahosi, who's one of our primary care physicians with the Trinity Health of New England Medical Group. Oh my gosh, that is such a full sentence, right? It's a good sounding name though. Good sounding name. Very solid. Dr. Klahosi has been with us for the past three years practicing as a primary care physician in the field, but also part of our residency program at St. Mary's Hospital. And he practices out of 1981 East Main Street 
uh, location with Dr. Quinn, Dr. Edmund Quinn, Dr. Diane Kim, mm-hmm. Robin McCormick. Robin McCormick's there too. And yeah. we also have cardiology and a few other specialties that, that rotate that through. That rotate through there. Uh, we have a geriatrics uh, program as well. Yep. Dr. Solomon's Dr. Solomon's there. It's a big there. office. So it's a very big office. Did you know Robin McCormick and I went to nursing school together? I think I heard that. You heard before. that, right? You saw yeah. us hanging out. And Absolutely. Heather, yeah. Like 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, we were just talking about this That's great. very long time ago, but that's okay. We're making sure we're paving the way for you newbies. You guys are great. <laughs> we have a lot of history for you. Absolutely. And Robin McCormick saves my butt all the oh, time. Oh yeah. She's I'm wonderful. Sh- oh, she's, she's the best. Excellent. She's yeah. the best. So our topic today is don't take a turn for the worse. So we really wanted to put the focus on developing that relationship with a primary care physician. But you know, for the remainder of the program, I, we really want to focus on some of those things that are early warning signs, don't wait type Absolutely. of thing. So when to really seek that medical attention. So we're, you know, we're going to focus a little bit on heart attack and stroke just because of those warning signs. You can't say them enough. And I think it's really important. So I'm going to let you take the reins on this and 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 start with what do you want to start with? Heart attack? Sure. Yeah. That sounds that sounds great. Yeah. So the, the beginning of the program, we spent the majority of the time talking about just the importance of establishing care even when you're feeling well. Um, you know, as a way of preventing downstream problems and maintaining longevity in life. So um, all very important stuff. That being said, there you know, there's no guarantees in life, and heart attack and stroke are. Uh, one third of all deaths in the world are, are sort of cardiovascular, so especially in, in the United States. So it's a, it's a common thing. It's very possible that this may occur. Um, you not only have with heart attacks sort of an acute heart attack, that's something that happens really fast in a artery in the heart blocks and you sort of get the classic chest pain, chest pressure, uh, shortness of breath, a feeling of, of disease, discomfort, sometimes radiating into your shoulders. But it can also be more subtle than that. So uh, especially in women, mm-hmm. um, you can have a, a sort of a different presentation. Men can, of course, have different presentations as well. So just feeling kind of nauseous all the time, you know, walking up a flight of stairs and feeling really short of breath or getting a little chest pressure, um, pain that's occurring just in the jaw or the neck or maybe <coughs> even radiating into the back. Hmm. Um, if you have those symptoms, you should absolutely seek out immediate medical care. So if you have crushing chest pain, go to the emergency room. I have unfortunately taken care of a few people who have it's happened right before bedtime and they've gone, you know what, I'm just going to try to, you know, maybe it's heartburn, something's going on. Let me just go to sleep and wake up and it's still there in the morning and they come in and, you know, time is heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- you know, the, the more time, the faster we can get you in and take care of you, the more likely we are to be able to save heart muscle. And, right. You know, when it comes to a heart attack, that's critical, critical. Um, so you've got the acute heart attack, but then you've got the, the vessels are narrowing and you're starting to see some symptoms early. And that's more of the shortness of breath when you're walking up the stairs or a chest pressure. Um, that should definitely not be ignored as well. So if it's, if it's happening right now or if, if it happens at some point, you should absolutely go to the emergency room right away. Um, and then if you are getting some of the other stuff where you're just feeling that nausea when you walk up a flight of stairs, get into the doctor right away. And if a, if a patient calls and has a you as a primary care physician, a patient calls with that, you get them right in. Oh, that absolutely. Day. Yeah. And it, it depends on, you know, what's going on. You know, if they're, if someone calls our office and says, listen, I'm having really bad chest pain and it's radiating in my arm and I don't feel good. Call an ambulance. It's time to go. Let's, let's get you into the hospital. We need to get you there right away. Um, but if it's, you know, if it's like, yeah, I walked up, you know, I've been walking up a flight of stairs recently and I just, I have this odd discomfort in my chest and I'm feeling okay right now. Yeah. It's like, come on in and let's, let's get working on this right away. 
And what would you do when the patient comes in? Take their blood pressure? Oh, yeah, certainly. So, you know, all the vitals get a good do history, EKG. get an idea of what's going on. Certainly EKG, blood work. And then, again, it, it really depends on what, what we find at that time. So, you know, that may may warrant, um, as you know, sort of getting you to the emergency room. It, it may also just require some additional testing. So uh, a stress test, uh, right. certainly an EKG is something that we do in, o- in the office. We just use these little stickers and we put them on your chest and it gives us an idea of, uh, we connect it to a machine that gives us an idea of the electrical activity of your mm-hmm. heart. We can tell quite a bit of information about that, but oftentimes the next step is a stress test. So we get you moving, we see what the heart does when it's, you know, when you're either exercising or we can also do that um, with, a, with a medication to excite the heart and uh, see what's going on. Um, you know, certainly the early so with coronary artery disease is what we call it. That's more of the, you haven't had the full heart attack, but you're on the way. We can identify that early. We can deal with it so you never have a heart attack. So no guessing. So when to seek medical attention, you're telling them there's no guessing here. So you're hearing, you're feeling like you have a more acute where you have that crushing pain in your chest, radiating down your arm. Straight call 911. Call 911. Absolutely. Because we have interventional cardiologists on staff 24-7 that can perform the life-saving procedures Absolutely. to help unblock yep. time anything. Is hard. Time is hard, and we definitely take that that notion to heart. Absolutely. Um, St. Mary's Hospital, Trinity Health, New England, multiple yep. um, multiple accolades for great cardiac care. So it's, it is a great place care. to get cardiac care, for sure. Absolutely. And what about stroke? Absolutely. So, so, you know, stroke, same thing. Time is brain. Right. Right. So stroke is when, uh, you know, for one reason or another, uh, the blood supply is cut off to a part of the brain, and brain tissue begins to die. Um, and depending on where that happens in the brain, uh, different manifestations can occur. Um, just in general, sometimes it can, a full stroke can actually lead to death of brain tissue. And again, that's why when you start to have symptoms, getting into the hospital right away is really, really critical because we can, we can actually reverse some things in the, sort of the acute setting. Oftentimes, management can make things better. So stroke, you know, you've got the fast, um, fast phrase. So, yeah. you know, where F is mm-hmm. face, seeing a droop on the side of the face. A is arm, so one arm is weaker than the other, or leg is weaker than the other. You're seeing slurred speech, which is the S, and then T is time, so getting into the hospital right away. But stroke doesn't necessarily present that way. So your loved one is just all of a sudden confused, or they're having a difficult time swallowing or an issue with balance or vision. You know, part of the half of you just can't see half of, um, you know, half of the room anymore. Um, and then headaches, so sudden severe headaches or pain, potentially with vomiting. Mm-hmm. Um, so neurologic signs can can be pretty varied. And, uh, let me let me tell you something. What you just said is so important because it can present in a lot of different ways. It can present in a lot of different ways. So just knowing your body, knowing that something's not right, or knowing something's not right with your loved one, that's when you seek medical attention. Yeah, and don't wait. Don't that's wait. That's the key. Like I said, a lot of people go to bed and they like, I'll just see how I feel in the morning. Not a good idea. You don't want to seek out immediate medical Absolutely. care. Even time, if it's inconvenient. Time is muscle. Time is brain. That's right. I mean, it's so important. I lived through it with my husband, so I can definitely tell you that. So it's so important. I, you cannot say it enough. It's a real thing and it's a common thing. And it's a thing that if it happens and it's not identified quickly can, can change your life. Um, again, right back to the importance of primary care. Come Absolutely. see your primary care before so, these symptoms occur. When to seek medical attention? Seek medical attention by picking out that primary care physician. Sounds good. And thank you, Dr. Clahosi, for, for being with me. us today. Absolutely. So I want to reiterate where um, 
Dr. Closey is located. So he's at 1981 East Main Street in Waterbury, right at the corner of Frost Road and East Main, right next to the Waterbury Senior Center um, and the East Side Memorials, also part of that building. And we also have our um, our physical therapy department located in that building, which physical is really therapy, convenient. Laboratory, and lab and x-ray, x-ray and which is really yeah, convenient. So you can go onto our website, stmh.org, click on the Trinity Health of New England Medical Group um, I guess it's a slider, whatever you call it, and a link. It'll link you right to our medical group webpage, and you can click on primary care to find your picture and a little bit of your bio. And the phone number there to reach them at is 203-709-5520. So, again, thank you so much for joining us today, um, St. Mary's Hospital, Robin Sills, Medically Speaking. And I will be back again on Wednesday, and we will have with us a a surgeon from, I believe, the Springfield area, Dr. Gradnick. So look forward to that, talking about when to seek medical attention. Have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us.